0: You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. When you serve as pastor of a local church, over time, you begin to pick up on some things. Not everything but some things. And one of the things that you begin to pick up on is that there are different kinds of people in the church. And it's not just one church. It's not just this church. It's all the churches. You can put different kinds of people in different categories, but at the end of the day, there are two categories that really everybody falls into one or the other. The first one is the group of people who think that God is extraordinary, extraordinarily fortunate to have them in church. Don't look around. These folks think that they're the best thing to happen to God since sliced bread happened to us. And he should be so grateful and so excited because we couldn't survive without them. Then there's another group, kind of on the other end of of the spectrum. And these are the folks who can't imagine God using them according to his purposes. They kind of walk through life thinking, God could never use me. God, not, not even that he can't, that he won't. That he's uninterested in reproducing outward, the outworking of his purposes in my life. And there may be different reasons for this. They might be because the magnitude of their sin and darkness is so prominent. Like, 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 how could God use me given the things I've done? You wouldn't believe how many people have said that to me over the last 17 and a half years. How can God use someone who's done all the stuff I've done? That's one reason. Other people are convinced they have nothing to offer. I'm not smart enough to teach a class uh, I don't, I'm not skilled enough to help out with this project. I don't, I, I don't have any, I don't have any money to help with the fundraiser. They just sort of assume that like, I don't have anything to offer. So whether it's just a lack of anything to give or a lack of confidence that God will use me despite my sinfulness, there's a group of people, and it's not a small group, who are convinced that God either can't use them or that he's uninterested in putting them to work for his purposes. If you're in that first group and you think you're the best thing that happened to the church in recent history, this sermon is not for you. You can listen, that's fine, but there won't be much helpful. If you've ever felt yourself sort of leaning into that second group, though, where you've been like, yeah, I'm not sure the Lord can do that with me. I don't have what it takes. If you've been in that space, maybe not all the time, but sometimes, then Galatians chapter 1 does have something for you. And it's this. God calls unlikely people to do extraordinary things. There's one thing that explodes off the page in Galatians chapter 1. It is that God takes the the most unlikely people. and puts them to work doing extraordinary things for his kingdom. And not only is he able, it seems like he kind of gets a kick out of it. So the story starts with Paul's story, doesn't it? If Paul is not an unlikely candidate for the greatest church planter in all history, I don't know who is. And he kind of tells a story. I think he gets this, right? There are places in his letters where he calls himself the chief of sinners, where he describes his violent opposition to the gospel earlier in life. I mean, if there's a guy who shouldn't be involved in the spread of the gospel, it's this guy, isn't it? Listen to how he tells his story. He's writing to the Galatians. You've heard no doubt, verse 13, of my earlier life in Judaism. My reputation precedes me. You've heard no doubt of my earlier life in Judaism. And listen to the words he uses to describe that life. I was violently persecuting the church. I was trying to destroy it. Not just trying to slow things down a little bit. Not just trying to push back some. Not just fighting back. I was trying to destroy the church. When was the last time you met somebody who was willing to say that? And he was particularly gifted in this, wasn't he? I advanced beyond others of my age. I had the right connections. I had the right resources. I had the right credentials. I was really good at violently attempting to destroy the church. If you read back through Acts, you know that this guy was there when the first Christian martyr, Stephen, was killed. It kind of looks like he was running the show because people are throwing their cloaks at his feet. Just to put things in perspective, we're talking about a guy in the Middle East, Palestine, who, for religious reasons, kills people? What's the word we use for that today? So if you want to get your head around what Paul was like in his earlier life, he's a religious extremist, and if you were around today, he'd be on a terrorist list. Because he made it a point to kill people who he thought were a danger or a threat to his religion. Does he sound like an unlikely candidate for Christian missionary? I think so. If that doesn't disqualify you, I'm not sure what does. (laughs) I mean, this guy is the last person they'd go looking for. And he seems to get that too, right? Because when he tells the story, later on he says, People were saying the one who used to persecute us is now proclaiming the faith. And it's almost like they're saying it in disbelief. Like, like I've heard this guy, Paul, is out here now proclaiming the faith he once tried to destroy, but I, I have to see you to believe it. Like, they're a little skeptical of that. And for good reason. Maybe they think he's trying to, like, cozy up to them so he can get some insider information and then turn on them when in, the time is right. Spring the trap. He was untrusted, he was violent, he was an up-and-coming influencer, and he was using all of his power to destroy the church. We'll put him in the unlikely category. He's not the only one in the unlikely category in the New Testament. You read back through the Gospels, all the people Jesus called are in the unlikely category. That's why I say It's not just that he kind of occasionally picks unlikely people because most of the people in the Gospels who Jesus puts to work are unlikely characters, aren't they? They're not the religious influencers. He doesn't go after the credentialed clergy. He's not, let me get some PhDs and some people with MBAs and some credentials and let's get some wealthy people in here to bankroll this project. Like, that's not the... You can imagine if a PR guy got hold of Jesus in the first century, he'd have a whole list of things they had to change. You can't start a movement like this. You don't have any money. You don't have any people. Like, like you just pull those guys off the side of the lake. You don't even, like, who are they? We should go talk to Paul. <laughs> he start a movement. He knows people. But that's not how Jesus operates, is it? He goes and finds people who have no influence. He goes and finds people who don't have a ton of resources. He goes and finds people who aren't well connected. He says, follow me. I'll teach you how to fish for people. Follow me, I'll teach you how to change the world. I think he gets a kick out of using unlikely people to take the gospel to the nations. So if you ever felt like you're in that unlikely category, you're in good company. Because you're there with Paul and you're there with Peter and you're there with James and you're there with John and the others. They were doubted by their contemporaries, sometimes called criticized, I should say, by their opponents as, "Why does he pick these uneducated guys?" Why are they the ones out here leading the movement? Jesus does this. He intentionally and purposefully calls unlikely people to do extraordinary things for the gospel. I think I know why. I think it's the same reason that he picks the Hebrew people who weren't even a people before he got hold of them. Instead of a powerful nation with resources and structure. He picked a bunch of nobodies wandering around in the desert. He said, I'm going to bless every family of the earth through you. Because here's the thing. When God uses unlikely people to bless the nations, it's unlikely that anyone says, you know, this could have happened without God's involvement. Like, if he picks unlikely people, then anyone watching with their eyes open would have to say, like, this person could not do this on their own. God must be at work. And that's exactly the sort of thing we find in Acts. These uneducated guys, if it's not of God, it'll fizzle out. Because they're not the kind of people who start movements. They're not the kind of people who are successful. They're the most unlikely type to change the world. And that's exactly what happens, isn't it? Because God is with them because God is present with the Hebrew people in the wilderness and carries them in to the promised land, because God is present in Jesus and gathers his people to Nobody's, then unlikely people, the folks you never suspect, become the front lines of the advance of the kingdom of God in the world. Not the power players. The blue-collar guys down by the lake. God uses calls unlikely people to do extraordinary things for the kingdom. Question is, how do unlikely people become available? So if we're in that space and we're thinking I'm not sure how God could use me. Like I don't have the rhetorical skill. I don't have kind of the the Bible knowledge. I don't I don't I I've still got this background where people aren't going to trust me because they know the sinful life I've lived in the past lived in the past, what do I do? Number one, start listening for his call. And don't assume he won't. Because he will. He does. If you're in the unlikely category, he's more likely to call you than someone who thinks that he really needs them on board. At least that's been my experience. The folks who think God is lucky to have them on the team, he doesn't go to them when he's got something important to do so open your ears that assumption God can't use me or God won't use me is like closing off my senses to what he wants to do stop it don't do that anymore and ask him how God I see that you use unlikely people how will you use me I see that you use nobodies how will you use me what do you want me to do And then start preparing. And the preparation part may take time, could be a longer time, could be a shorter time, but there's always preparation. God always prepares his people. Even the Apostle Paul, who knows his Bible backwards and forwards, doesn't just go straight to the mission, he goes off to prepare. He doesn't go to Jerusalem, he says, until three years. He's got to go off and spend some time with Jesus. He's got to go off and, and learn. He's got to, like, how does this work? And what do I need? And how can I get equipped? The church planning ministry didn't start for years until after his conversion. So begin preparing, because mature discipleship takes time. Like, people don't just, like, <laughs> people don't convert, and then we go, hey, here's a Sunday school class. <laughs> Teach it. We want people to grow up into their faith, join a Sunday school class, and join a prayer group. Let's gather midweek, and let's spend some time reading the Bible together, and let's pray for each other, and let's raise some questions, and let's struggle with some of those hard things that we're not quite sure we have a good answer for. It's okay. Let's do it. Let's do those things, and let's do it for a long time because we've got the rest of our lives to be at work on this project. It's okay. It's okay. That maturity, I mean, if it takes a human being almost 20 years, and probably some parents would say well, more than 20 years to mature, <laughs> how long does it take a Christian to mature? Let's think about it this way. Like, and, 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 and are we making ourselves available, like Paul, to Jesus who shows up And turns things around. That's what he does with Paul, right? He's got that violent opposition to the church. And then Jesus shows up in that Damascus Road experience. We haven't all had that. Probably grateful that we haven't all had that. (laughs) But Jesus shows up. Turns Paul around the other way. And sets him on a path to do extraordinary things, even though he was unlikely, an unlikely candidate. So, if I want to be the kind of person who is available to God, even though I think I may not have the resources or the background, I want to put myself in places where I can be prepared for whatever God's going to call me to do later. The church is ground zero for that, by the way. You're not going to find another organization anywhere in the world that says, we're here to prepare you for what God wants to do through you. That's, like, that's our gig. <laughs> that's our mission. That's what we're about. It's what we do. So if you want to be available for God, deep embedded, embedded, being deeply embedded in the life of the church is crucial for them. It doesn't happen without it. We have to prepare ourselves, and we have to be able to distinguish, this is crucial, between preparation and procrastination. Here's what I mean by that. There are folks who will stick around for 20, 30, 40 years and never step into what God is calling them to do because they think they're not ready yet. If you've been going to Sunday school for 20 years, we can probably do something with you. Okay? That's my hunch. If you get to that point, you're still making excuses. You're procrastinating, not preparing. So let's make that distinction and let's offer ourselves for what God wants to do through us. The other thing we have to remember is that He might call us to do something nuts, I mean, crazy. That's what he does. He frequently calls unlikely people to do crazy stuff, or at least everybody else thinks it's crazy. I've known a lot of folks over the years who've been willing to do the crazy things God calls them to do. I know a really talented guy in Mobile who moved his wife Four or five kids, I forget how many. had a lot of kids, more than me. Moved his wife and his children into one of the worst neighborhoods in Mobile and planted a church. Light in the darkness. I know people in Montgomery who could afford to live in the suburbs but instead move into the city because they believe God has called their family to be light in the darkness. And Everybody looks around and says, I admire you and better you than me. I have to ask myself, would I be willing to do that if I really thought that that's what the Lord wanted from me? That's a hard question to answer. But if God calls you to sell your house and move to a place marked by darkness and be the presence of the gospel of Jesus in that place, would you say yes? I know a guy who used to live in Alaska, ran a global photo expedition business. So, like, if you wanted to go to Africa and take pictures of lions, you call this guy in Alaska and pay him a lot of money, and he would organize the entire trip, flights, buses, transportation, safari, and you show up with your camera, and he will get you up, and you can take a picture of the lion. That was his job, and he was good at it. Sounds pretty lucrative, honestly. 10 or 12 years ago, the Lord said, "Sell sell all your stuff, move to Costa Rica, and start rescuing girls from human slavery. And tell them about me. And he did. He may call someone in this room to go plant a church in a region where Christians are persecuted. Where there are people like Paul used to be who would just as soon kill you as look at you if you're an enemy of their religion. I know and have friends who Went to school for one thing, having nothing to do with missions, so that they could go into closed countries, undercover, and start planning churches in secret, knowing that if they were discovered, they would be those people you might hear about on the news that disappeared and no one's heard from them ever since. I've had friends who have been deployed in mission to islands with no Christian presence, so that when they showed up, they were the only Christians. That's serious stuff. You'll never know their names. Because they're all unlikely people. But God is using these folks to do extraordinary things in surprising places. Why? Because Jesus gets a kick out of picking the folks no one else would pick. the People with a bad background and a lot of sin in their life the people who don't apparently have anything to offer. He will give you everything you need to obey Him. Undoubtedly, someone in the room is saying, I'm too old. Don't raise your hand. I'll only tell you this. When I was 25 and went to beginning ministers' school, Most of the people in the room were retirement age. Let me be be clear. Most of the people in the room who were answering the call to go and lead a church had recently retired from whatever they'd been up to for the last 30 or 40 years. Some of them were engineers, some of them were teachers, all kinds of stuff. Nobody ages out. Nobody ages out. You don't retire and go sit on the couch in the kingdom of God. If you retire, that just means you're more available for the stuff the church needs you to do. Right? Amen? That wasn't very persuasive. Only Willie said amen. (laughs) Christians don't retire. We just switch vocations. Nobody ages out of the gospel ministry. God calls us to new seasons, to new fields of work, to new places of labor. But there is always something for you to do. Always, always, always. And it shows up in unexpected places. You heard Josh's story a few minutes ago. He didn't go to work that day expecting to have to talk to somebody about Jesus. Jesus. We rarely expect those sorts of things to happen. but the Lord brings them to be. and the Lord brings us to those places. and sometimes it takes an uncomfortable conversation to be obedient and faithful to Jesus. Other times it takes a radical renovation of my life and family. Sometimes it takes... A willingness to say, I will go wherever you send me, no matter what it costs. And no one is too unlikely to be exempt from that. The reality is, brothers and sisters, we are all unlikely people. Because all of us come into the world far from God. All of us come into the world needing Jesus to take hold of us and draw us to Himself and cover us with His grace and give us new life and give us the new birth and give us His Spirit. Give, 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 give. He gives everything we need. His presence, His life his wholeness, his love. I do have something to say to you folks who thought you were the best thing that ever happened to God. You're not. You're unlikely to. And he longs. He longs to deploy you for his purposes. It will require humility. it will satisfy the deepest places of your soul. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumcorg sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.